You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go-hard-or-go-home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today, we have Anthony D. Mays, software engineer at Google. Uh, let's uh, kick things right off, and let's talk about your story uh, in terms of, you know, you come from Compton, and how do you, uh, you know, get to Google uh, from there? Yeah, so I came to Compton in 1988. It was my black mom, white stepdad, and two brothers. And very early on, I learned that Compton was a very unique and interesting place, but it was also a rough place. Um, and I learned that because when I went to uh, a kindergarten class one day, uh, my teacher found some marks on my neck and my back, um, had f- discovered signs of abuse, had asked me about it. I told them it was a bully on the playground. Turns out that um, what actually happened is that my uh, stepdad had beat me. and uh, The white stepdad. Yeah, yeah. my white stepdad had beat me. And uh, so then... Um, you know, the teacher called the police, came by and picked me up, went to Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital where they confirmed that I'd been physically uh, beaten. So then I was put into emergency foster care for some time. I got to go back home, but my parents decided that um, they would give me and my two brothers up to foster care. Um, and they felt like they... What were, age uh, were you at this time? I was four years old. Four, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know... They didn't feel like they could take care of or support us any longer, and so we went into the foster care system. Fortunately, um, uh, our former babysitter and her husband decided to come back and um, take us into their home. And they went to um, a session of night court, petitioned the judge, and we were able to uh, move in with them. And so from the time that I was four years old until I turned 18, I lived in the Crooms household in Compton, uh, growing up and just trying to learn whatever I could, trying to make sure that I applied myself educationally, um, trying to make sure that I paid attention in class. And um, at some point in my um, time in elementary school, I got to use computers for the first time, and I was really excited by that. I remember just being able to use this technology that was responding to me you know um it wasn't like you know reading a book or or other stuff like that like i could do things and and i would get feedback and it was very interactive and i remember i enjoyed that a lot and i felt like there was some control in what i was able to do with the computer Uh, i'd been used to sort of not having control of of always being moved from place to place from situation to situation and you know with the computer i felt like i was in command and i it, it just became a feeling that um i enjoyed and got got used to and so uh, i asked my parents if we could get a computer and they were like no because computers are like two three thousand dollars at that time um but they did buy a little toy computer for me um my birth mom also bought me a computer too um but it was a little toy computer and the computer had, among other things, like educational exercises and stuff, had a mode for programming in the basic programming language. And so I taught myself how to code using that little toy computer. Um, in middle school, high school, I was fortunate enough to have mentors, um, both of whom were computer lab instructors, that um, spent time just encouraging me on on learning more about tech and getting involved. and. Um, learning about how to use everything, learning what the HTTP www means in a web address and all that. And um, it became very clear that I needed to pursue computer science as um, a field of study and as a, a career opportunity. And so I attended the University of California, Irvine, uh, and getting a degree in computer science, learned very quickly that I was doing something special because I was only one of... I was like the only black person in most of my CS classes. Um, and, um, you know, I began to feel what we in the industry call imposter syndrome, right? Where you don't feel like you deserve or belong to be where you are, even though the data says otherwise. Um, you know, and I just 
struggled through school. I didn't do great in math, <laughs> really sucked at it. And, um, but fortunately through the, through a program called inroads, I was able to secure an internship with city national bank in downtown LA. And, you know, I was able to sort of work on that with that internship during the summers. And so when I eventually graduated on the five-year plan, uh, I was able to transition to a full-time employee at City National Bank. And that really was the start of my um, career in tech. Um, worked there for some time, bounced around to a couple of other jobs. And in 2011, um, Google reached out to me and um, wanted me to interview. I said, okay, this is cool, I'll, I'll do that. And I was like super excited. Like when I'd gotten off the phone with the recruiter, I was running around the house like four or five times. And um, I went up for the interview. I didn't really know what I was doing and ended up failing. And this was a huge disappointment to me because, you know, there were people that were cheering me on, that were praying for me at church, that were so very supportive, people that expected me to be able to get in. And I feel like not only had I let myself down, but that I'd also sort of let this community down. And so when Google called again in 2012, one year later, you know, to ask me to try again, I was like, nah, I'm just not ready for, for that, um, you know, to go through that failure again. That's not what I told the recruiter, but that's what I was thinking in the back of my head. Um, and so uh, the strange thing was Google called again in 2013 it's like, you really need to try again. Uh, and I remember the recruiter, um, Lucy, she um, was talking to me and just, she really understood where I was coming from, the apprehension, the nervousness, the, the fear of failure, and really helped to um, sort of guide me through that. And I think it was because of her encouragement that I was, you know, sort of gained the strength to go for it one more time. And this time I had the right materials, um, you know, I had the right inspiration and uh, studied for a month and a half every single day for three or four hours a day, you know, just going through things like algorithms, data structures, all this. And finally got my opportunity to interview again, and here I am. <laughs> yeah, can you clarify for me, uh, you know, you mentioned that you did not perform well with math or academically, however, you're at uh, UC Irvine, a very good school, UC system. Uh, you graduate from UC Irvine. Like, reconcile that for me because, you know, did you just kick things up at a certain point, uh, you know, before college or, or at UC Irvine? Uh, help me out on that. Yeah, so I had done well academically for um, most of my school career. Um, I think as I started to get into, and I was, I love math. Like I don't, I don't, I don't not like math, but I always struggled with um, just understanding how to, how I learned. And that's the part where I feel like I messed up because uh, I could take a whole bunch of other classes, half pay attention, go take the test and then be fine. With math, it required study and rigor and, um, and attention. And so, you know, if I was sitting down just, trying to like stare at the book all day, that wasn't gonna help me. Like I needed to stand up, use a whiteboard, walk around, talk to myself, whatever I needed to do. Uh, and so I had to learn how to, how to be scrappy through that and really um, apply myself to it. Um, and I tell kids now like, you wanna know what the secrets of doing well in math is? Study. <laughs> like it's that easy, but for me I didn't understand my learning style and and how I was going to deal with it. I think that helped to prepare me for the Google interview eventually. But um, but yeah, the, the the first couple of years I just couldn't understand what I was doing so horribly, and that I think that also fed into my imposter syndrome because you know it wasn't like I wasn't seeing data, um, you know, confirming these suspicions. Like I was had bad. I graduated with a two point eight eight GPA, um, and so there. You know, I could sort of look on paper and tell, well, you know, I don't know how many people with 2.9 GPAs. Yeah. Uh, so the standardized test showed that uh, uh, African-Americans uh, are people uh, after adjusting for parental education, adjusting for income. We're at the bottom in terms of math scores. Uh, do you feel like there's something cultural going on that needs to, to, to be addressed? Like money can't fix 
certain cultural impairments? So there, there may be something culturally going on, um, though I might not be able to pin, pin um, my, my finger on it. And it's not, it doesn't have to do with intellect and intelligence. I don't believe yeah. that, I, that the reason why I struggle with math is because I'm black. Yeah, it's not a genetic yeah. thing, right. But I, I think it is um, just the fact that I didn't necessarily have people um, that I could go to that could help me understand why I was struggling uniquely in the way that I was. Um, you know, I, I felt like um, my father was sort of good enough at math, but he hadn't graduated from high school. Yeah. And so he hadn't really seen the kind of math I was dealing with um, and wouldn't have been able to sort of prepare me for what I was dealing with that, at that yeah. point. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of, you know, engineers, technical people in my family that I can go that I could go to and just be like, oh, you know, you've taken college level calculus. Yeah. How did you get through this, right? I just didn't have that. And so um, a lot of this stuff I had to learn the hard way. Um, now that I'm a parent, I can teach my son and my daughter how to deal with, you know, upper level mathematics, but that's not something that I had. And so I think that, you know, some of the problems that we find, particularly in the black community or in brown communities or some of these other underrepresented communities is that um, there's sort of a breakdown in terms of the family network, the professional network is just not there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's and that itself is due to um, sort of the lack of opportunity um, uh, that you find, you know, in these communities uh, from any everything from societal societal pressures, racism to, you know, all this other kind of stuff. So so uh, staying with the, the, the potential cultural issue, that's an impairment for a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned you were bullied by other black kids. Uh, you're into computers. I'm not trying to bang. I'm not trying to be a Pyru incompetent. I'm not trying to be, you know, Snoop Dogg or, or, or Warren G or whatever. I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm into computers. And the people bully you. Uh, Talk a little bit about that and how did that kind of motivate you more or did it really break your spirit at that time? So at the time, I saw it as very unfair, right? Uh, and I knew that I was doing the right stuff because my, my mother and my father were very much, you know, on my case about doing well and, and applying myself, not just because it was the right thing for me to do and for my future, but, you know, as a Christian, I want to hold up a good light uh, for the rest of the world to see. And so it was very clear that I needed to be a person of upstanding character uh, and I needed to apply myself in the classroom, you know, um, for God's glory and for my good. And so that's one of the things that they built like, into me. It sounds like to me, if you didn't have that rock in terms of your faith, that the black cultural establishment who's like this kid's in the you know, computers, he's a geek, he's a freak or whatever, the bullying, that would have broke your spirit. But it sounds like, uh, you know, you were a man of faith early on and that helped you uh, kind of survive that type of stuff. No, absolutely. I'm, and I, underst I understood that there, there were these two options, right? I could either keep doing what I was doing and um, go down this path that, that few travel uh, and, and see what happens. Um, or I could give in to the bullying, you know, sort of accept the hopelessness that I was sort of surrounded by and that I think other people gave into. I could accept that and live in that and be like they were, but I didn't want to do that. And why do you think, uh, you know, it, I haven't really seen black leaders talk about the concept of cultural optimization, meaning that it's easy for everybody to talk about racism and, and what white folks are doing, what the government's doing, what the Republicans are doing, what Trump is doing. But have you heard of black leaders ad addressing a cultural uh, issue where things that are good for us, uh, the people don't like, or the people, in, in, in your case, uh, you'll get bullied. But if you're involved with criminality or pseudo criminality or chronic or, you know, partying a lot and, and that type of stuff, that's all fine and dandy. You can't attack that stuff. Um, you know, have you heard black leaders talking about, you know, yeah. a person like yourself being yeah. bullied and the only yeah. thing you want to do is, is kind of be a geek and read 
and be a good person. I, I don't think that leaders have talked about that enough. Um, I think for, for the black community and even in some white communities, um, you know, that suffer with the same kind of th- things that the black community suffers with, there's almost this culture of blaming other people, right? Blaming society, blaming racism, blaming institutions, as opposed to looking at like, you know, I wasn't bullied by white kids growing up. I was bullied by black kids growing up, right? Um, it, it wasn't. But, but, but I, I just want to kind of crystallize for the audience is that the only thing uh, Anthony D. Mays was into was computers, being into God. Uh, and this guy was bullied. The, the, and it's not just him. Uh, of course, I had an instance in 10th in grade uh, right around the street from Compton at uh, L.A. Adventist Academy where a lot of the uh, wannabe thugs would, would call me Carlton because of the way I, I talk. But I don't really hear black leaders talk about the retardation within the culture because if you start to address that, white folks can't fit, fix that. That's a that's a that's an internal uh, thing. Yeah, I mean, and and look, when I, you know, I remember President Obama some time ago talked about the need for black men in the black community to step up and be fathers and they and, be they, dads. and they tried to bully them. Like you can't blame you can't you you can't address the victim. You can't ever hold black people accountable. We're the victims, and it always has to be about the Democratic Party, yeah. the Republican yeah. Party. Yeah, them. But, yeah, yeah. But I mean, from a theological perspective, I I understand that it's not just one party's issue. We're all the problem, right? We're all, on both sides of the table, on every side of the table. We're both the problem. True, uh, 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 a complex problem uh, with a lot of different actors for sure, but don't you believe the community is overweight blaming? It's, 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 it's kind of, it, it's the system's fault. Uh, we're the victims and we're underweight uh, having the courage. Not, you're not letting people off the hook. You're just saying, hey, if you're gonna fix this in our lifetime, if we're really gonna address this, we're not gonna rely just on other people to fix this. There's certain things we can do, we can step up to fix our own community. And I feel like we're overweight on that. We're underweight on that side yeah, yeah, and overweight yeah. on the racism side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that there is, um, I, I think I would agree with that. Um, you know, and that's, again, that's not to say that there isn't real struggle in the community and people who are really suffering or really hurting uh, that need the help. Um, people who are dealing with things, you know, that happen through no fault of their own. Um, but at the same time, there is this need to recognize that there are resources and tools available to help you get beyond um, even those things. So, I mean, you know, I didn't choose to be in foster care. I didn't choose to be abused. Um, but I did choose to respond to that differently than the way I saw some of my peers responding to that, you know, which is through aggression and acting out. And again, part of what benefited me was having parents there um, who were encouraging me to do well academically that were teaching me about my legacy and my history as a young black man um, and helping me to understand that I've got, that there's a better way, you know, yeah. and, and, and not just them, right? But even the church community that I was surrounded by, right? Um, who, who encouraged me then and continue to encourage me now. All of that stuff was important and was more impactful than I think any one program that I've ever taken advantage of throughout my uh, childhood and, and life. If you're interested in advertising on the Go podcast, uh, you can go to moguldom.com forward slash G-H-O-G-H. Uh, once you're there, you can click on the advertise uh, button. Let's go. A lot of people I see in corporate America, you know, your, your Google, your Facebooks, your Microsofts, uh, when they get into these uh, institutions, uh, it seems like they put a lot of soy milk in their their coffee in terms of their their personality, their character, their attachment to Black America. They become over time something else. You're here at Google. You got the Compton hat. You're throwing up <laughs> CPT. I'm from the hood, right. and I'm great too. You know, uh, talk about your uniqueness in, in that respect versus you know sometimes uh, you know you have Black folks that. Uh, uh, they kind of get into a different path 
in a sense, once they go into the, the corporate institutions? Yeah, so I mean, there's, I've talked in the past about this idea called the black tax, right? Where as a black person, uh, it's understood that you need to work two or three times as hard as someone who's not black to get as far as, as they might um, get without working two or three times as hard. And, you know, that, that means a lot of things. Um, part of what that means is that when you get into the corporate world and into corporate America, you need to fit in as much as possible. You need to stay below the radar and let your work and your accomplishments really speak for you. Um, you don't want to give somebody any reason to believe that you're not just as good as they are or better. Um, and so I think part of what plays into this is just wanting to um, do as good as you can professionally without letting other things like you know, where you come from or the color of your skin burden you down. And, you know, there was a, I think a period of time in corporate America was where it was all about colorblindness, right? We're not going to see your color. We're not going to see any of that kind of stuff. We're not going to talk about that. You just need to be, you know, the same as everybody else and just doing the same kind of work. Um, even though race and your background was still very much playing a part, right? It wasn't real colorblindness. It was superficial colorblindness. And so, um, you know, I think that's exactly what I did. You know, I was fitting in to a T with the corporate culture, right? And all those sorts of deals. It wasn't, it hasn't been until I got to Google that, you know, I learned like Google's culture is, you know, bring your best self, right? And if your best self includes, you know, that, you know, you're bringing your blackness and your background and, and using that for positive change, bring that too. And so there's been this freedom that I've experienced working here at Google uh, that, is, that has been, I think, very impactful in allowing me to sort of open up and, and retain these things that have been important to me. At Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg had to jump in where the face, white Facebook employees were crossing out Black Lives Matter. Have you seen anything like that here? Me personally, no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I so, haven't. so yeah. uh, uh you know, obviously, uh, Facebook is in the news, uh, you know, related to the Cambridge Analytica uh, uh, scandal and, and data privacy. But what I see a lot of folks doing is they're conflating Google, which is part of the, the advertising duopoly. They, they do kind of, you know, not kind of, they control the market with Facebook, digital advertising market. But in terms of culture, I think there's a lack of understanding in terms of the delta between the two. Me having worked with Google, Google executives for 10 years and working with Facebook, there is a big delta between the two. Can you talk about your experience specifically being black working at Google? Sure. So, um, you know, in one of the things that I experience um, myself working at Google is that there's just a lot of of freedom for me to um, do the things that I think are going to be impactful to moving the needle for diversity and inclusion. It's not just something I've seen with me, but uh, for a lot of uh, my colleagues, um, black and non-black, um, you know, just all across the spectrum. Um, I think Google has done a great job of getting out of the way of people who are talented and highly motivated uh, to do what they do. Uh, and that has um, had a very liberating effect for me, you know, not just to not just as a professional doing software engineering, but also as an advocate for inclusion and for diversity and for I think what is right and just. And so, um, and I've, I've I don't know of any other place like this. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't have warts or, or issues to deal with internally. Um, you know, that's very much the case. But um, you know, and I don't know much about. Facebook's culture or any of the other places I've only ever wanted to work for Google. Uh, and since I've been here, it's like I said, the be best place I've ever worked. Um, but I feel like when, when Google can do things like invite, um, thought leaders in this space to come to Google and have very frank discussions, you know, Google has the, um, the race at Google series on YouTube where they've had some very frank conversations about race in America and what that all means. Like I've never seen that in, in any place. And, you know, my, my gut reaction is like, oh, yeah, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is going to get folks fired up, right? Um, when you have folks like Van Jones coming in or, um, you know, Michael Eric Dyson or, you know, some of these other folks in, um, 
you know, I can't. I, I can't imagine that stuff going on at Facebook based on uh, what I know. Yeah, well, yeah, I, Dyson's yeah. coming to Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. That, that's that's one of the things I don't don't know. I mean, and I think that there's some some risk there too. Don't get me wrong, right? Um, there have been a lot of people that I think take, um, you know, the discussions about race and uh, and diversity and inclusion, and they just run wild with it without thinking about the implications of that. Um, you know, but. You know, by and large, I've seen Google be very supportive of of um, moving the needle uh, and really having these discussions about what it means to be a diverse and inclusive company. Um, now, I, I also believe that there has been an unintended consequence for um, some groups of people. You know, I've written about this before, um, about the unintended impact on folks who are more conservative-minded. Um, and I don't mean conservative in terms of like unwilling to change and unwilling to be accepting of people that are different than, from them. I mean conservative in terms of, of, of like perhaps religious values or social values. Yeah, or being a person of, of faith, at least what I would call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because that's that gets looked at um, a lot differently. But you wouldn't blame uh, Google or tech. I believe in black culture. You know, there's a sentiment, a developing sentiment where if you go to church or you go to the mosque and, 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 and you know, you're spiritual uh, and you take it super serious, that's like old school. That's like for old folks. Uh, and there's kind of a backlash within black culture against this old style thinking, meaning that we have found new values from, you know, different pockets of America and television and music. But there's been a big deviation from the black community's approach to faith. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and so, so, so what I'm, at least what I'm saying is, you know, yeah, probably you're, you know, you're going to see uh, probably discrimination within tech companies uh, against people of faith uh, like your, your yourself. But I see it just uh, within black culture. Uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when I walk around as a Christian, you know, speaking of Christ and, and of, of what he means to me uh, and in my life, I'm, I already know, based upon what the Bible talks about and discusses, about what I'm to expect. And I'm supposed to expect persecution. I mean, the person who is the hero of my faith was crucified on a cross, right, um, by religious authorities and the government. And so... You know, I'm not trying to expect anything different, you know, as I'm upholding my faith before the world. Um, and so I'm not surprised by that, you know, whether that's at Google or, um, or at any other place. Um, you know, and even, at the, at, even as I say that, yesterday I got the opportunity to wear my Christians at Google t-shirt for the first time. Because right, we actually have a Christians at Google group where other Christians um, who are like-minded can come together and have discussions and, and all that stuff. And it's been great to be able to, you know, see those emails come across my inbox where we get to talk about these matters and talk about, you know, prayer and, and the gospel and that stuff. And so that that's meaningful to me. Again, you know, having a Christians, um, a, a Christians group is something that you, you know, normally have to sort of do under the radar at a company. You know, uh, where maybe you and a couple of other coworkers decide to, you know, take a lunch break and, you know, hash that stuff out. But, you know, to be able to have a forum company wide where we can have those discussions and, you know, uh, uh, there's been opportunities for that group to invite uh, preachers and, um, and you know, other um, figures to come to Google and talk about their perspectives on faith. You know, I think that that's been a great thing and, and one of those things that, that has encouraged me to see. I may not agree with all of them, but just knowing that um, that Google provides that forum for discussion is is useful, you know. And so, um, at the end of the day, I really can't complain because no matter what happens, I still get free food. <laughs> uh, and uh, a white engineer um, uh, at Google, James Damore, uh, he was terminated. Of course, he. Um, he, he wrote a memo uh, about white males, white conservative males being discriminated against at Google. Uh, I know you don't speak for, for, for Google, obviously, but how did you and other black employees at Google, uh, you know, how are you guys thinking about that? I think there are a lot of reactions to that, um, mostly, mostly negative reactions. 
um, for me, I I saw it as hugely problematic because of the way that the communication was happening about it. And I thought that there were some fair criticisms. I thought there were also some unfair criticisms. So you agreed with some of his points? I think some of the points made sense. I think there was definitely a line cross, though, um, when it came to um, talking about women in the workplace and their capabilities. And I think that, you know, I saw that not just as an issue for women, but also for black people, for brown people, for all kinds of people representing the company. And, you know, and I don't mind having the discussion. Uh, I don't mind having the discussion. What I do mind is is when um, when you when you don't have the um, I think sense to know when to stop and stand back and recognize that real harm is being done to the community. I mean, I think that was a, a ferry there when um, Mrs. Moore was being told like, hey, you know, this is harmful, this is hurtful. You know, you, you, know, you need to shut this down. Um, I don't, it didn't sound like that happened. And there were some other things that happened too. I don't pretend to be an expert on this. I don't really know all of the specifics. Um, but certainly I think that uh, when you send something like that and you see the reaction, it's really important to, you know, take a step back, shut it down, you know, think about a different way to engage uh, as opposed to, I think, really doubling down and like, you know, I'm going to ride this till the wheels fall off. You know what I mean? And so I think that was um, one of the big problems there. Can you imagine a time in America 20 years from now, based on the current cultural trends where Christians such as yourself or Muslims, for that matter, uh, could be persecuted for your beliefs, meaning that the society has rethought right and wrong in uh, the principles uh, that you believe in in terms of Christianity or Islam. They're no longer acceptable in terms of American values, in terms of the points of view in that book. Do, can you imagine a time in America where there would be promiscuous discrimination against people of faith. No, I mean, I can, 20 years ago? 20, year, 20 years from now. Can oh, you imagine now? that, that oh, that's possible? Yeah, absolutely, I could. Yeah. I mean, and it's, again, that, that sort of thing is already happening all around the world today and has been happening. Um, I think anytime there's been sincere and, and genuine faith, um, you know, demonstrated, particularly by Christians, there's been um, great persecution associated with that. In America, I think that that persecution will increase. Uh, I think that um, that faith and belief in Christ and belief in God will become more and more un um, unacceptable. But again, even throughout the ages, um, I think true faith in, in God and in the person of Christ Jesus will always stand strong. And so there's never a fear um, that I have that that's going to somehow wipe out Christianity and wipe out people's faith. Um, you know, it's one, of the, it's one of the things that drives me to be thankful of the current time and the current place, right? Like I want to be able to talk about um, what it means to believe in the Bible, um, to stand upon the resurrection of Christ Jesus. I want to be able to talk about that openly and freely because I can, um, because I've got the forums and opportunities to do that. Yeah. I anticipate a time where, you know, maybe in, even sooner than 20 years, where you're gonna have um, real persecution, even in America, uh, where, where folks are gonna uh, respond uh, more radically and more violently. Against people of faith. Yeah, against people yeah, of faith, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think it's fair to say that in black America, as I mentioned, I believe uh, the establishment in black America, uh, we're overweight on racism, on focusing on white folks and the government and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. But do you think it's fair to say that black people were in the condition that we are at this point of our juncture and journey in America, more so because we have lost our way? Like first with, with slavery, right? We lost our, our, our traditional African values in terms of how we select a mate, uh, you know, believing in family and family principles. So we lost a lot of that good African stuff that we had that was natural to us. And then you have Christianity here in the United States, and now people have kind of thrown that uh, out 
And so now the black people, the descendants of slaves, you come over here with your, your family and cultural tradition totally broken up. You don't know your last name. You don't know what's your original culture. You don't know the principles of that. But do you feel a lot of black people now are just freestyling? And so when you're catching hell out there and your community's in chaos and we're not progressing, it's because the people don't have an app. The people don't have any type of commandments. They don't have any type of rules. And now it's kind of freestyle. And that's more of the problem than racism or what the Republicans are doing or what Trump is doing. I think there was a time in black history where we became aware of what scripture teaches and about Christ and about concepts like holiness and sanctity and all those sorts of deals. Um, you know, I, I see even in, um, the, in the black inventors of old, um, one of my favorites being um, uh, Booker T. Washington, um, no, sorry, George Washington Carver. Um, George Washington Carver you know, figured out how to use peanuts in all of these um, uh, medical and scientific applications. And one day he was asked about why he didn't patent more of his inventions. And one of the things that he said is, God gave this to me. How can I go sell that to somebody else? And it was an interesting reminder to me of, of a time when people really acknowledged God, um, particularly black people acknowledged God in the community, acknowledged his role in our development as a people. Um, and I, I think that there were a lot of people in the black community that took that very seriously and very solemnly, and that helped to drive what they were able to accomplish in the world and in society and in the community. Um, you know, I think that those were very good times. It didn't mean that you know racism and discrimination disappeared, but it meant that there was a strength there and a bond. It's even reflected in the Black National Anthem, which I quote pretty often, that last verse, right? Yeah. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way. I mean, those words carried such weight and such truth that I think that we've forgotten and we've um, been disconnected from. We've lost our soul. Yeah, I, I think it, in a lot of ways know, we have. At, yeah. You know, in, in terms of uh, looking at where the culture is today, it seems like uh, the people have really just lost their kind of soul. It's kind of like a freestyle thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. And, 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 and kind of like money is going to fix everything. Money, government programs, government changing. Uh, if you just give us money and we have more money, that's going to fix everything. Right. No, and, and, and that's certainly... Um, not the case. And, and yeah. here's, the, here's the thing is, I think when we, when we talk about sort of the freestyling nature um, that maybe this generation has, it's, it's not a problem any different than I see in other groups of people. I mean, this is what humanity does, right? We don't want to look to God. We don't want to acknowledge him. We don't want to um, see the person of Christ Jesus and, and his rule and reign. You know, we'd rather skip all that. We'd rather hate God and do our own thing and define the rules the way that we want them to be and all that stuff. Or choose a new God, money. I or, feel like that's a big piece of the, the problem, too. Or even morally, right? Yeah. More importantly, we want to choose our own, own God, ourselves. We want ourselves to be in charge. And, you know, this is one of the things that bothers me about, um, for instance, um, the, the recent push for AI and, and all that stuff. Um, not the recent push, but the the, the um, increasing push for AI. Were you, uh, uh, just, were you part of the protest uh, at Google in terms of Google's helping the Pentagon with artificial intelligence? Many people are going to believe that this technology is going to lead to, uh, uh, this technology is going to be weaponized against people. Most likely it's going to be people of color. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know uh, much about all that. I, I, I guess I'll plead ignorance. Um, I think that human beings tend to do um, really bad things with whatever you give them. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, with, so. with, with, with AI and white folks, uh, I just think a public enemy can't trust it. Yeah, like well, hey, you know, the robots that are going to be programmed in the future, uh, this stuff can't go our way yeah, in terms but, of black people. Yeah, but I mean, it's I, I don't I don't see it as uh, a racial thing. I think that um, again, it, the human problem that we have is that. We like to beat each other up. We like to, to subjugate one another. We like to rule over one another. And that causes us to do 
um, things that are just plain evil. Um, I, I, for one second, don't believe that had the shoe been on the other foot, black people would have done anything different um, than white people would have in terms of... You believe we wouldn't have done anything different? I don't believe that black people innately have something that keeps them from being less evil than white people or brown people or any other kind of people. Okay, I I take issue uh, in that all cultures are uh, are equal in, in terms of their inclination to oppress others. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah but I mean, yeah. you know, one of the reasons why I think black people, all races are yeah. equal in terms yeah. of a, a inclination yeah. to uh, oppress yeah. others. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, look, it's we. I think that black people of today would say we would never do that, but that's because we were on the receiving end of the damaging effects of slavery, right? Um, I think that had we not had that history um, and it had been, you know, black people, you know, in Europe, you know, in, in, in those areas and white people have been in Africa, you know, I, I personally think that because of what is in us, what is in humanity, there's a great chance that we would have been doing the same thing that white people did in that, in that situation. Um, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, it's for me not a black or white thing. We're all made in the image of God, is what the Bible says. The Bible also says we're all sinners, and that we um, like to do that. Which, like we invent ways of being bad and evil against one another. And so I can't say that um, a white person is evil or, or more evil than I am just because they rep KKK. Uh, I've got my own evil. I've got my own things that make me um, bad or bigoted or um, unsympathetic or unempathetic or any of those kinds yeah, of but, things. Uh, and it allows me to sit across from somebody who's different than me, maybe who even hates me and says, look. Let's, let's make a distinction here, though. Uh, of course, you have your own evil, as you call it, but you're talking about an institution inflicting uh, pain uh and oppression on other people which you're not doing and so in african history we do not uh and uh we do not have a consistent history of looking to oppress others and lynch others Mm -hmm. and 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 do a lot of the 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 bestial things that europeans have done to us Mm -hmm. it's just that i i have not uh uh, seen uh an equivalency Mm -hmm. between European culture and African culture. I mean, and, yeah. and, and that, that, that may be fair. Um, you know, I would, I would like to believe that, that that is true. But again, my, what I come back to is the fact that everyone has their evil. Um, and certainly we all come from a place, humanly speaking, where we don't want to do what's right and what's good. That's second nature to us. Doing what's evil is first nature. Right. You don't have to train a kid how to be bad. You got to teach them how to be good. Yeah. And so um, the reason why I cling to this so strongly is because it enables me to have empathy and compassion for people who are different from or even hate me, because I understand that um, in many respects, we're very much the same in terms of our heart and the way that that we relate, maybe not just to each other, but to God himself. And so, because I know that I needed the Savior to die for me, for my own sinful depravity, um, the other person needs that same remedy. They need that same solution. I was in their boat, um, and and I needed uh, a redeeming Savior just like they do. And so, I need to be able to have that conversation. I need to be able to 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 get away from my inclination to want to say I'm better than you, right? Or or um, that I'm more righteous than you are. No, no, I need to get away from that. I need to say, no, no, I'm just as bad as you are. We both need the righteousness of Yeah, I, I take uh, issue with that. I'm more righteous than uh, a lot of uh, folks who are oppressing people, who are systematically and perversely uh, uh, oppre- oppressing people. Uh, okay, uh, so we talked about imposter uh, syndrome. Uh, can you share with the audience what that is? So imposter syndrome is um, the idea that you don't belong to sit 
in your seat um, or to uh, you don't feel like you deserve this success that you've achieved, even though the data shows otherwise. Uh, and that data piece is really important, right? Because, um, you know, if you're, say, working at Google, you get hired to work at Google. The fact of the matter is that a lot of smart people um, thought that it was a good idea to hire you and you showed a track record of success or innovation or leadership or whatever that brings you through Google's doors. And so despite the fact that you come to Google and you work around a lot of incredibly smart people that you might feel are smarter than you, the fact of the matter is that you went through the same process that they went through. You proved yourself just like they did. You should be in the room just like they are. And so um, this, this is one of the forces that not just, you know, I have had to fight against, but I think everybody, every Googler that I've met so far has had uh, some run in or issue with imposter syndrome. Um, during their their time here at Google. What's the distinction between imposter syndrome and uh, what Derek Bell described as the stereotype threat? They seem uh, similar. Uh, I'm not familiar with that uh, terminology, stereotype threat. Okay. Let's see. Stereotype threat is a situational predicament in which people... Uh, are or feel themselves to be at risk of confirming to stereotypes about their social group. Uh, since its introduction into the academic literature, stereotype threat has become one of the most widely studied topics in the field of social psychology. Uh, stereotype threat uh, has been shown to reduce the performance of individuals who belong to negatively stereotyped groups. Uh, essentially, hey, you know, black people are stereotyped uh, to be less intelligent, lower IQ, uh, and so if that's dominant within the culture, uh, when I go into that classroom uh, on a test or just, you know, my academic performance, that filters into the performance in terms of your low expectations and thought of me. So it, it sounds like the thing that would have made my imposter syndrome what would have made me have a heightened sense of imposter syndrome. And one of the things that I've theorized is that one of the reasons why I struggle with imposter syndrome maybe more than other people do is because I'm black and because of where I come from in my background. That's one of the things that I talk about a lot. Um, I'll give you sort of a funny um, story of this. So when I go to lunch um, in my Google office, um, we usually have two different kinds of main entrees to get served. And I would intentionally stay away from the chicken. Because I didn't want people to think that, you know, as a black person, you know, oh, he's got to choose the That's chicken just, plate. Yeah, you know, I, I, I could kind of, I've been in situations where I could relate to that. It's right. kind of like you're walking around with some form of oppression. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you, can't, it's, you can't, you can't publicly, or you may feel a thought comes in your head if you're eating chicken or watermelon because yeah. of the attitudes of others. Right, I mean, in, in a lot of respects, it's silly to think that way. And I know that it's silly to think that way. Um, I, I think we, we have we have a tendency towards pride and, and having this um, belief that other people are thinking about us more than they actually are. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, but you don't blame the people in, in terms of the, the trauma from, 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 from slavery, right? That's not, that's not uh, easy to, to go away. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, yeah. there's the, 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 I'm aware of stereotypes um, that may be applied to me as a black person and because of my awareness of that and my eagerness to avoid those stereotypes it does change my behavior uh, when i'm in um, certain places and in certain circles and so uh, i think the same is true here at google and so uh do you feel like although you've come a long way uh in terms of not believing uh you can make it at google uh doubting yourself do you believe you do you have a self-awareness in terms of I'm in meetings with 10 white people, one or two Asian folks in the room. I'm the only black man, only black person. And you still have that doubt there in terms of degrees. Hey, I'm a lot better now, but I still see that in terms of flowing through uh, situations in my performance here at Google. Yeah, certainly. Uh, there's there does tend to be that uh, awareness uh, that I have about who I am and who others aren't. 
um, in relation to, to who I am. And again, I, I think a lot of that comes from um, my own pride and ego um, to just, you know, I, I may just think too much about it um, as opposed to just focusing on the task at hand and, and, and being focused there. Um, but yeah, it does happen. And there, the, I have to be able to push through that mentally, right? I've, I've got to be able to focus on what I need to do. And there are times when that, when that difference in those thoughts can be used positively, right? Um, where I can, because I'm reminded of who I am and where I come from, I can bring that into the conversation and say, well, hey, you know, when I was at Google, we didn't let people push us around like that. You know, we don't, we don't need to do that in this situation either. Um, or, hey, you know, where I come from, we speak frankly. And so let's, let's get away from this PC talk. Let's, let's be honest and real with one another. And so I can sort of bring um, these things from um, my perspective into a conversation, even in the work environment, and that can be a positive thing. Um, there's other times where it can be negative, you know. Um, I think there's plenty of times where I think about my race way too much. Um, you know, I, I explain to a lot of people that a lot of times when you look at me as a black person, you think that the most important, important identity I have is as a black person. When in reality, my important, my most important and most essential identity is my identity in Christ. That's the number one thing. That's what really guides the way that I think about the world and think about myself. And so, you know, there, there are times where I've got to um, maybe not put my blackness on the back burner, uh, but in other respects, yeah, that's absolutely what I need. I need to think about like what, what, how should I respond to this situation as an ambassador for Christ, as someone who believes in Christ, as someone who um, believes scripture, how should I respond to this situation? Um, you know, and, and separate that from how would I respond to this if I were just thinking of my own, you know, legacy in history as a black person, as a black man in America. Because th the way that I respond in those different situations aren't the same. You know, I think one um, is clearly the, the superior and the other can sometimes align with the, the former, but not always. Um, and I, I know I sort of said that in a complicated way, but I think it's, it's true, right? I think about how do I respond as a Christian in this situation, not as a black man in America dealing with um, all of these forces that might be working against me. Tell us what a software engineer at Google does. Sure. So uh, a software engineer at Google, I was thinking of a very funny answer, but uh, I'm not going to use that. Uh, as a software engineer, uh, we build and maintain systems. Um, and that can be anywhere from software applications, mobile apps, um, you know, tools, what have you, um, that keep our business flowing. So walk us through, uh, you know, uh, a typical day on average here. And what are you, what are you actually doing on that computer? Yeah, yeah. So I, I hate this question because there's, I never have a typical day, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like today I'm talking to you. That's not yeah. a typical day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, generally get in, have breakfast, um, see people around the office. Um, as I mentioned before, we have free breakfast and lunch here. Some offices have dinner. Um, but come in, have breakfast, um, then start plugging away at, um, you know, either answering user requests, corresponding with folks that are using the products that I help build, um, and then uh, spending some time maybe writing up some code, um, bug fixes, new features, whatever. Um, but I guess on on the average month, you know, what percentage of your time is actually coding, writing code? Oh, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It depends. I mean, yeah. there's there's some months where I'm like heads down coding, you know, six hours out of the day, you yeah. know, because I'm trying to get that next new hot feature out and, yeah. you know, troubleshooting all this other kind of stuff. Then there's other months where um, it's more planning and working to really solve these really big, complicated problems with the rest of the folks on my team. Um, you know, I think um, last quarter, um, the, the must shoot through January, um, January through March, um, it was more of that kind of thing where I'm just spending time with the team, trying to figure out how to solve these problems, just thinking through stuff, not yeah. so much getting my hands into the code. So it really depends uh, from time to time whether I'm doing more of that or whether I'm doing more just heads down coding. 
Yeah. How would you uh, handle uh, a question uh, for you personally? Uh, when I used to uh, uh, go to Mountain View uh, and see our account reps and execs at, execs at Google, uh, you know, I'll see the bikes. You know, we'll always we'll have uh, free food in the Google cafeteria. Google obviously is has a very big wallet and and take care. They take care of their uh, employees extremely well. Right. Google uh, ranks uh, probably in the top three in terms of where graduates uh, want to uh, work. Uh, but what would you say to the people who believe that, hey, you guys at Google, you have these nice bikes everywhere. You guys have your own private jets for executives. You guys have the best food. You guys have chefs. But that's at the expense of small, medium sized businesses, net net. Like, like there's some help with small to medium-sized businesses, and then there's some hurt. But Google has run over so many different and disrupted so many different businesses uh, where the industry is concentrated. And also it's at the expense of people's privacy uh, in that some people are able to be wealthy at the expense of others. Uh, how would you... What would you say to that person who says, like, hey, you know, Google's cool... You know, there's there's so much wealth. You guys are really smart. You guys execute on a lot of your 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 big initiatives. Uh, you guys have the game on lock, and you're eating well. But that's at the expense of other people. So I don't I don't know that I'd frame it that way. Um, I I and I don't know that much about the the politics of it. If you are the dynamics of it, uh, I know that the culture is changing as it were um with in culture i mean world culture right yeah globalization taking place you have new industries new opportunities that are being invented left and right um, you have things being done in today's time that weren't being done before and this leads to change this leads to disruption um, there are folks who were doing things um you know 20 years ago that you can't do today. Um, they're even my job, you know, I hear rumblings from um, coworkers and colleagues and folks in the industry about how even my job today won't exist 20 years into the future, you know, maybe 10 yeah. years into the future. Um, and this is what happens, right? Uh, this process of change where um, things that used to be done aren't done anymore. And, um, you know, I, I've been able to witness how, you know, my own sense of privacy has changed, right? Things that I didn't expect would be publicly known about me are now out in the, the open forum. Um, you know, and this is just the way things have changed and shifted. I've got to now shift my mindset in terms of how I um, interact with people online or how I engage in these online services. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a proposition, there's a basic proposition, right? I give Google all of my data um, you know, and I entrust them with it. Um, and I believe that that trust is justified based upon what I know about this company. Um, and in exchange, I get services that are useful to me. I mean, I've, I've always been a fan of Google products. I've always been a, a fan of Google services. Um, and they've certainly done right by me, not just as an employee, but also as a customer too. And so I appreciate um, all that I'm able to take advantage of, of in that respect. But yeah, have I had to go down and like lock down my Facebook account? Absolutely. You know, after I realized like, oh man, I got too much stuff out there. I need to clean this all up, right? Have I had to go to websites to try to get, you know, like my address and stuff taken down? Absolutely. Um, and that's not something that, you know, my parents really had to struggle with, right? It's just like, okay, do we get our address in the yellow, uh, in the white pages or not? Right? Yeah. It was basically it. Um, but now I've got me and, and my generation have so much more to deal with. And so, you know, there is a benefit, but yeah, there is a cost too. Um, and we're always assessing, um, as a society, what's going to be acceptable going down the road, um, and what's not. And I think those important, those conversations are important to have. Um, I don't, I don't look at these companies as, um, as enemies, um, to be feared. Um, uh, but I think that, um, we all need to be working together. Um, and certainly I've seen that willingness on Google's part and, and, and on the part of other companies too. Um, and so, 
yeah, the more that we have these conversations about what's going to be acceptable and just all trying to do what we need to do, I think that's going to be helpful. We're not going to do that perfectly, of course. Um, and I think that's where uh, we need um, governmental authorities doing their part. Um, I think that's where we also need commercial interests doing their part and then citizens and employees and customers doing their part to really speak up. Uh, and that's how this whole thing is going to work together. Even with things like um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, there needs to be cooperation um, across um, um, all the companies involved. Um, uh, with, there needs to be cooperation with the academic community, with the government, all these kinds of things working together to make sure that we have policies that are going to be productive for the future. I think there's a lot of benefit to things like machine learning, even in the context of helping to minimize discrimination um, and, and, and things of that nature. Um, I've been hearing about tools that will help to ensure more objective hiring practices through the use of AI machine learning. Will it exclusively be that? No. Um, will there be a chance that we're gonna have um, yeah, that, technologies a- that are gonna be more biased in that area? Yeah, that's, that's true, that's a real risk, and that's something that we need to be concerned about and worry about, um, but um, I don't think that we need to be, um, um, you know, Overly negative, <laughs> I guess, about uh, it. How do you feel uh, confidence level 1 to 10, 10 being uh, most confident, that big tech consumers, politicians in the United States, they have a good handle in terms of thinking about where does all this uh, you know, automation, robots, artificial intelligence, where is all this stuff going? Uh, that people have mapped this out and really thought hard of the trends and w- what does society look like in 10 to 20 years? Uh, in, you know, in terms of those groups in aggregate, really having a good handle of where all this stuff is going. Uh, uh, my point of view is uh, uh, I do not feel like uh, politicians, our political leaders, uh, you know, uh, consumers, are the big tech leaders have a good handle on it. I feel like the mentality is similar to uh, the financial crisis where, where, where you know, people were uh, investing in subprime uh, bonds and, and trying to manipulate the bond to make sure that it kind of blows up our instruments uh, in a way that they could blow up. So people are very short-term and transactional, but as we saw that there was a big blow up. Uh, and then so if everyone's focused on tech disruption, automation, robots, how can we do this faster? But we haven't thought through where does that stuff end up? You're going to have a really big crisis down the road. Yeah, and I, I think that I agree with you. Um, on a scale of 1 through 10, I'd, I probably couldn't rate society at higher than a 4 okay. right? on, this, on yeah. this scale. I mean, we just don't think about these things enough. Uh, I think that some people do. Um, but by and large, most people don't. I think that's been borne out in the recent uh, congressional hearings, right, yeah. um, between uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, and Congress. Um, I just didn't get the confidence personally that um, our elected officials really understand what this technology is and what it's doing um, and really uh, you know, understand both the benefits and the cons. Um, and you know, it's, it's concerning. Um, and I, I don't think it'll always be that way, but certainly uh, th- there needs to be more of an effort to think about these things and in a lot of cases just slow down. Um, I think we jump into these things so quickly. Keep on moving fast and breaking things out there in Silicon Valley. Keep, keep, keep that up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and again, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have faith in humanity to, um, to do this perfectly or to do this without... Um, causing a great deal of harm to somebody yeah um but um i I think that yeah there's a lot that needs to happen to make sure that everyone's on the same page about what this is and where it's going you know but fortunately for me i don't worry too much about it it doesn't keep me up at night personally because my trust isn't in technology my trust isn't in society in society my trust isn't in myself as a software engineer my trust is in god to to you know to remain sovereign and sovereignly in charge of everything. And so, you know, I see this all as part of God's providential plan, however it plays out. And, um, yeah, I'm good with that at the end of the day. 
All right. Uh, where can uh, the audience uh, check you out uh, on Twitter? Uh, what's your handle? Uh, and then also, where can they see some of your uh, your writings? Sure. So uh, I'm at Anthony D. Mays, M-A-Y-S dot com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever at Anthony D. Mays. Uh, and I've also got some articles that I've uh, shared with moguldom.com. And so um, I've been very grateful for for their support and for your support, Jamarlin. Um, uh, big shout out to Anthony. Uh, please check him out. This is a brother who's, who's right here in Venice uh, in Google with the Compton CPT hat. He's raising the flag of his faith, of where he's from. This is a powerful young leader. Uh, make sure you check them out. Let's go. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarlin Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.